This podcast will contain spoilers for all aired episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones and all published books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. Imagine well, being one of Stannis' sailors. This is not what I signed up for. Yeah, I want to get a shot of Salador in the background. Like, get the get us out of here. This is not what <laughs> Bring me my brown pants. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Vassals of Kingsgrave Dragoncast Edition. We're back this week to review the eighth episode of Game of Thrones Season 5, Hard Home. My name is Zach, also known as Alias in the podcast of Ice and Fire Forums, and joining me for this review we have... Hi, this is Greg, Claudius the Fool on the forums. This is Matt, Varley on the forums. My name is Paul, and I'm known as Pod's Plight on the forums. This is Adam, Drowned Snow on the forums. This is Bing, Shushan on the forums. I am Jack's Broken Heart, <laughs> known as Lucky Charms on the forums. No. Kidding. This is Duncan, also known as Valkyrist on the farms. And there you go. We have we have another Kraken joining us. We've imprisoned yet another one, so that should be fun. Yeah, um, imprisoned. And, and I just have to make a note uh, for all the the, the rabid Michal fans out there. She couldn't make it again this week, as you as you can tell. She is out seeing a musical, I think. Uh, so so yeah, just doing cultured things or something. I don't know. We're, we're just gonna talk about Game of Thrones here. I can hear the yeah. I can hear them people clicking off right now. Stop yeah. yeah. oh, turning it off. Was outrageous. <laughs> so we'll just get a two star rating. Yeah, we'll take yeah. it. Yes. Else is new. What are you gonna the do? Shark. All right. So yeah, hard home episode eight quite the episode of course i think a lot of people were really into this one for a variety of reasons which we'll surely get into but let's go ahead and start with the lemon cake ratings starting with you greg uh i mean i didn't really like it too much i gave it uh, like yes. a half a lemon cake so average go ahead. yeah no i'm just kidding um i gave it a five it's definitely my favorite episode of this season maybe the best one since blackwater i think um, even the non-hard home stuff, I really enjoyed the stuff with Cersei, and I actually quite enjoyed Tyrion and Danny, which I didn't expect to. Um, but just the, um, you know, there was no Dorne to bring it down. Um, I would give it five lemon cakes just for Septa Yanella and one one, and everything else was just uh, icing, icing on the lemon cake for me. So yeah, sure five thing. lemon cakes. And you, Matt? I give it a four point seven five. I loved everything. I just wish that the. Uh, the little baby, the Craster's baby that got turned into a white <laughs> was there. Was playing, <laughs> was playing like the Ollie the role. Like I don't like the wildlings either. Like kill them all. But, <laughs> um, no, I really enjoyed this whole episode, and even more so on the rewatch. Like the uh, Danny Tyrion scenes, just much better than I thought they would be. And you, Paul, what did you think? I'm also going with a five. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed it throughout, and the ending was quite epic. And I guess if uh, Varley got his wish and John killed an infant White Walker, that would have been pretty amazing as well. That would have been like six lemon cakes out of five. <laughs> yes. A baker's lemon cake. <laughs> what did you think, Adam? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep the train rolling. I've, I've got to give it a five. I mean, nitpicks or anything aside, it was just it was just a great episode. What did you think, Big? Yeah, 4.75 4. to 5, somewhere in there. And pretty high regardless. This is this is obviously the best episode this season. And um, it's good that Game of Thrones remembers to go back to what it's good at once in a while. And that is huge action pieces. Mm. What did you think, Alex? I would give it a 5, I guess. But I would ha- add a footnote and say that there's it's troubling. The previous two episodes, I'll be blunt and say, really winded my enthusiasm for the show and i really enjoyed this episode but i don't 
I'm not quite comfortable with myself feeling like one back over. I don't know. I'm not either, but you can still keep them separate and just enjoy this for what it is. Or at least I can. Yeah, I'll say there's there's a dissonance between the, the merits of the show at this point and just my personal enjoyment, if that makes sense. That's fair. What did you think, Duncan? You were at a um, loss for words on the forum, so. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, you guys pretty much said what I was going to say. Yeah, it's the most engrossed I've been by an episode since the first season before I'd actually read the books. And I think it really captured that or recaptured that feeling of fear and excitement and not knowing what's going to happen next, probably more so than Feast Dance itself, if I'm being honest. But uh, yeah, I was I was worried about Danny and Tyrion interacting, but I think the way the two personalities balanced off, balanced off each other was uh, worked surprisingly well. And there's a lot more to invest in with the Mayrin plot, I think. Um, and the other scenes were really good, especially the Arya stuff. But ultimately, it was all just table setting for the main event, which was the reckoning of Hardhome, which in my opinion is the best battle of the show because it just sort of exploded out of nowhere and it was just rank frenzy and horror which is what a battle should be and yeah just the combination of eerie sound mixing and really creepy images I thought was really uh, effective and you know there's obviously things you can pick apart about the episode it's not perfect but as yeah I mentioned on the forums I was like physically shaking by the time the credits rolled and so yeah I've got to give it five out of five cool so yeah I think that I'm pretty much with with the cast on this one it was a really fun episode I think the way I would I would describe it and the way I've kind of been thinking about it it was that it was a really cool mix of stuff from the books I didn't expect the show to do like like the Arya stuff and, and I guess you could expect the Cersei stuff but giving that more detail it was cool to get all that but also stuff that you know is completely new that I really enjoyed and it was it was just cool to get that mix and of course Hard Home was just just showstopper awesome and this is coming from someone who's not typically like a huge fan of the the whole apocalypse zombie whatnot thing but but it just was it was like you say Duncan just at the end the only things I could say was holy shit I was just blown away by it and I just I had a great time watching it so for that reason I would give it five lemon cakes as well so yeah let's go ahead and jump in not beginning with Howard home we'll save that for the end beginning with Maureen where we get Tyrion and Jorah being brought to Danny's throne room Tyrion makes his case to Danny including some backstory of Danny that he that he kind of used to get her on his side and she asks him to advise her on what to do with Jorah Tyrion says that he seems to be absolutely dedicated to her but points out that he didn't trust that she would spare him if he told the truth about what he was doing before so Jorah is sent again into the exile zone uh, immediately after returning. Well, he got his second punch on his exile card, so yeah. once he gets to five, he gets a, I don't know, free, a free lemon cake. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think there's anything that Tyrion would have said that would have ended up in Jorah being allowed to stay if he had like tried to make the case for him to be allowed to hang out? Or do you think there was just no way? No, I think that was like his first test yeah. that Danny was yeah. giving to him. Like she'd already decided that he was never coming back. And she's saying, all right, are you going to give me wise advice? Or are you going to give me self-serving advice? Yeah, exactly. But, it seems like it wouldn't be self-serving for Tyrion because he would want to be the only one advising. But didn't it seem like he was giving like advice on both sides of the coin? He's like, he deceived you, but I'm pretty sure he loves you. He, he, he played it he's, well. He's yeah. He played it to protect Jorah from being killed, yeah. He was basically like, look, you could take him back and that would probably be okay, but you really just can't do that. And I don't think, I think, yeah, I think that was the way he knew that she was going to accept him is to just say, look, yeah, you know, I like this guy, you like this guy, but he's got to go. It's a bit surprising because I thought with Barristan gone, maybe Jorah would come back, but it makes sense. Well, it was weird to see Danny with no no one standing behind her except for Miss Andy. Like, I mean, we know Barristan's dead, but, you know, Dario wasn't there, his star wasn't there, and it's it just really... 
put in perspective how she really has no one to rely on aside from Miss Sandy at this point at least. And Dario's just mm-hmm. telling him telling her to kill everybody. Let's go ahead and move to the thing that Jorah does afterward where he, you know, leaves Morgan very upset about this whole scenario, gets a quick peek at his grayscale, not looking good, kind of developing a little bit there, a slightly bigger patch. And he goes immediately back to Yezin and says that he will serve him, you know, in the pits at the Great Games. He will fight for him so long as he can fight for Danny, uh, I guess, so that he can prove his worth by means of arms, which worked excellently last time. So, of course, it's going to work yeah. this time. Yeah, I don't know what his yeah. like, ultimate goal is. He just wants to die in glory in defend- in- for Danny. You know, he knows at this point she's not going to take him back no matter what he does, right? Yeah, I don't think he's thinking logically anymore. Well, he knows he's dying, so he just I think he yeah. just wants to go out in, in some glory. And from the show's standpoint, we know why they want him there. With right. Him. But for him, I think he's just like, I'm dead. I just I might as well. I can see her one last time this way. I mean, I was exiled, but she can't just she can't kick me out in the middle of this sort of thing. I think that's maybe the only thing in his head right now. Yeah, I guess the question he's asking is like, how do you want to die? You've only got this amount of time left. What do you want to do? And he says, all right, I want to serve the woman I love. I want to fight. I want to die with a sword in my hand kind of thing. I guess it's also this sort of like maybe self-loathing. Like he sort of wants to punish himself or destroy himself in the pit. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that could be it. It's not how I expected it to play out. It's just, it's weird that they chose to frame it this way because it does feel kind of like a reset button, right? Because he's kind of doing the same thing. Obviously on a different scale, but like, how is it going to turn out this time? Do you guys have any theories on like what they're going to do to maybe get them together? I mean, I guess we're assuming obviously Danny's going to fly off on Drogon, but like, how is this going well, to go for Jorah? I think sort of speaking of Barristan, if Danny gets absconded by Drogon in next episode and uh, Jorah is fighting in the pits, he might be in a position to try and take up the defense of the city or something oh, or, yeah. or reset order. Because they sort of know that, him there then, at least. But then everyone knows that she's kicked him out twice, right? So yeah. He's like, well, in her stead, I'll be here to help. So maybe, I mean, unless maybe Tyrion's like, well, you know, I'll allow it or something. But he maybe sort of takes charge of the situation and gets people back to the pyramid as things are falling apart and Tyrion thinks, all right, you know, maybe I can depend on this guy. And maybe he doesn't survive, you know? I mean, Mm. he does all this as he's slowly solidifying in front of everyone. (laughs) Or someone makes an assassination (laughs) attempt on Danny that's not Locust, but like they try to stab her or something and somehow he manages to save her but dies in the act of saving her and then mm, that would yeah that could thing. be it as well yeah i guess we'll see but then we do get that final scene in marine with Tyrion and danny meeting together in private this time where they talk about what danny should do next kind of like general advising from Tyrion what to do about the westeros situation and how she's gonna you know enter that and she kind of makes the point that and she we finally get this wheel speech that we've been getting to use <laughs> on in all these trailers she's going to break the wheel the wheel of the various great houses having control at various points in time She's sick of it, and I think the impression we're supposed to get is that she is going to have absolute control with no great houses. I think that is kind of what she's saying, right, when she means break the wheel. Worker's paradise. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think sort of going back to the balance between those two characters, I think it works so well because Danny is so sort of lofty and ostentation, and Tyrion is so sort of cynical and grounded. So when she gives that speech in the trailer, it's kind of like eye-rolling kind of these proclamations that she keeps delivering. But balanced against Tyrion's kind of like yeah people have tried that before you're not the first person it's uh, i like that dynamic really well it's something that sounds really impressive in a trailer 
but in context, it sounds really stupid. <laughs> it's strange, right? Because so, so I guess the difference is, I mean, this is kind of what Aegon did, right? Because, you know, he, he wrests control away from the various quarreling kings and lords of Westeros and kind of takes control. But the difference here is that he's going to, or that she is going to completely, I guess, demolish the houses, crush them into dust, kind of like Tywin did with the reins and, and the Tarbex. I guess that's kind of, is that what she's saying? I, I think it shows that she is still a bit ignorant. I mean, especially of where she comes from to think like, I don't know, like if she pulled you you pull down these great houses and then and then what you, you still have to have someone that does their function right that like serves as basically a governor of those areas so i mean it's it sounds nice and it also sounds stupid at the same time but it's not it's but it's fine you know what i mean like it's what you would expect her to say it's interesting that well, she made the point that the common people would be would be there to support her when Jorah has has kind of made the point that they don't care about this stuff that this is above their interests. I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting that she kind of reverted to that feeling that that Viserys had. Yeah, I almost well, felt I, like she might have been testing him more because some yeah. of the things she said were like it's almost like she knows that's not true when she said yeah. like, I have an army and I'll have dragons where all Jorah and and Barrison have been telling her like that's not enough to win. So I think she might be keeping up with what she was testing him originally. Like, see how how he mm. responds i mean it's kind of subtle but otherwise didn't make i didn't believe her when she said, well i got an army i'll be fine like she can't actually believe that i got that feeling too from both of them i think they were kind of probing a bit and not being fully honest about how they feel about things i think Tyrion was doing that a bit too in the throne room scene so yeah i think that it definitely wasn't like fully representing what danny actually feels and thinks yeah and whatever she thinks about what her role as ruler is going to be i think a lot of us feel like her main role is going to be in defeating the uh, war against the others and then after that she may or may not be around to do anything much after that but in the long term it doesn't really matter what her high ideals might be you first have to win that war and that's her main important feature in terms of the story in terms of general i guess outside of story from a reader perspective that's probably the case but she needs to she, she, like her, she should have a better plan of action yeah. yes <laughs> yeah, I, I guess she sees herself as like a leader of the small folk. It's like this peasant uprising. She's sort of liberating the slaves and she thinks she's going to do the same in Westeros. She's going to destroy the noble, evil noble families and, and deliver the, the small folk to justice and equality and all that, which is interesting. It's sort of what the High Sparrow is trying to do as well. Yeah, so yeah the High Sparrow is already doing to, that, right? Yeah, he's trying to galvanize the, the masses to undermine the, the narrative that the nobility should be on top. The thing is, the, the High Sparrow will be completely against Daenerys' existence, yeah. purely based on who she is. She wants to control, and I guess you can make the argument he wants to do the same thing. She wants to control everything, uh, you know, just being the sole ruler. She doesn't want full-blown, like, everyone can do what they want, democracy, whatever. She wants just no one else to have, have that power, so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's been brought up on the forums, too. She doesn't want a master class unless it's her. Right. And uh, it would be funny if she showed up in, in Westeros, and she's like, I'm ready to break the wheel. And the high score is like, ah, I kind of took care of that already. We're good here. You can Here's leave. your broken wheel. <laughs> I did just want to mention in the first scene, I really liked the way, I guess, the way it was shot, just with like the way it started really low down with Tyrion. It was kind of looking up at Danny, And then as he slowly, slowly starts to make his way up the steps, he's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of that shadow on the wall thing where he's elevating his status and his influence over her and he's separating himself from Jorah. So yeah. it's kind of the most interesting way that the throne room, throne, uh, the Maronese throne room has been shot so far. And the way he looks back at Jorah and, you know, says like, he loves you, I think it was sort of like so pitying and almost condescending, I felt. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. this sort of yeah mix of pity and sorrow. And he, it, I feel like there is, was sort of this kinship between him and Jorah in the last couple of episodes that he sort of sees a lot of himself in Jorah. But at the end of the day, 
you know, Danny is the kind of hope that he's been working towards and, and Jorah is the sort of the pity and the shame that he feels within him. So he has to sort of detach himself from that and make his way up out of that sort of pit of despair. You see, I disagree because I think this is just Tyrion taking a situation and putting it to his benefit. Oh, that is well, he, yeah. he was he, he was abducted by Jorah. <laughs> like, he yeah. didn't want that. But like with the slavers and everything, he saw his own self-preservation through Jorah. So it behooved him at the time to be buddies with him. And now I don't think I don't think that's the impetus behind them like trying to save Jorah necessarily through that scene. And also, as he was moving up those stairs, it reminded me of Legends of the Hidden Temple, where they would like answer questions and move up the little platforms. <laughs> little, little. Yeah, <laughs> next level. <laughs> what did you guys think of? You know, a lot of people were kind of saying how how Amelia Clark has been bereft a lot of interesting actors and characters to play across. And I guess I'm just curious how you felt about that aspect. How you think that the Danny character did in that? that with with Tyrion. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I was really surprised at how much like I was going based off of their original meeting. I was like I'm going to hate everything between Danny and Tyrion and I was actually really pleasantly surprised that I that I that that was not the case. Looking forward to more. Mm-hmm. Not too much. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might not actually get that much if she's going to be yeah. taken away next episode, right. but yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. I really liked Amelia Clark in this episode, especially when she's looking at Jorah and she's her voice is kind of wavering and she's starting to crack. You really get the idea that, you know, this is a facade, this projection of power and dominance that she's putting out there. There is sort of vulnerability underneath. Yeah, she does get a little teary-eyed, doesn't she? Yeah, and Jorah gets a lot teary-eyed. <laughs> but oh, poor oh, yeah. but yeah. I, I really like the dynamic between Danny and Tyrion. There's like there's this a lot of mistrust. There's this a lot of ambivalence. Yeah. She has at the end of the episode or the end of the story, like she finally takes him into her services. There is still obviously animosity between the Lannisters and the Targaryens, but that's kind of this that sort of an interesting through line throughout this episode. These two sort of warring clans, you know, coming together. I guess. And that kind aspect was this. was acted really well, I think, with the way she was kind of sitting. It just felt kind of awkward and and and, uh, and uh, standoffish a bit. And I thought that mm. that really added something to the interaction and just made it more interesting to me. What about the Varys reveal? Oh, yes, right. This was one of the things, actually, that I thought was... um was kind of Tyrion being dishonest, or at least it, didn't, it was weird to me that he kind of said that he trusts Varys completely. Like, I, I just can't imagine that. I guess maybe since they've they've been through so much getting here, but it's just how would you trust a man like that, right? He's one of the most most scheming people there is. Yeah, but he's really yeah. his only friend at this point, right? True. It's just that, I, I don't know, I don't remember exactly how they represented this in the show, but it's just how much he kind of shows his true colors after the Battle of the Blackwater. Like, I, I was only really working with you because you were the hands, and... We still have some kind of relationship after, but it's really not the same. And I will inform on you uh, to, to to Tywin and Cersei as much as I need to. I, d- I don't know, like, how do you trust that? See, that's right. not how I read that, though. I read that more as, like, I am your true friend, but I have to do what I need to do to survive, but I've still got sure. your back. And that's kind of what he did where he rescues him at the end, you know, with, with Jaime. But I always even, thought he, wasn't, never, he never turned on Tyrion openly. It's in his heart, I guess, if he has a heart. But even in Dance, doesn't he tell young Griff, oh, you trust him completely? More fool you. He's just like, don't trust anyone. Yeah. And here he is like saying, oh yeah, I totally trust Varys. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, it was, it's fine. It's just, it was a little strange to me. And I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to write it off as him kind of, kind of doing that probing, not fully honest thing. Yeah, I mean, he's almost selling himself as much as he's selling Varys. He's right. like, you know, this is what feudalism do. We did what we have to do. But at the end of the day, we've come to you to try and make things better. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's, that's a good right. way of putting it. Let's go ahead and move to Bravos, where we meet Lana of the Canals, is what I'm going to call her. It was funny when we, we first saw her walking around <laughs> with the oyster cart there. A cat went by. I thought that yeah. was <laughs> But yeah, we have we have Lana of the Canals here, Arya's new identity, plying her trade in the streets of Bravos. She comes across a gambler who asks for some oysters with vinegar. This A sailor who is approaches the man is taken away after he is denied whatever help the gambler can give it's kind of ambiguous at that point and uh, later jack and explains that the man is essentially a life insurance salesman who keeps the money if his customers die and it is time for the many-faced god to intercede by way of lana the waif is skeptical again something i just i didn't expect the show to do to do yeah. this part of her, her development but yeah we get it i was confused as to the guy who went there to you know to basically to get him to sign off on his trip yeah. to insure him was that the guy that we saw praying in the temple later on I thought so. Are we supposed to believe that? So. Okay. So. That was the impression I got. All right. Makes a little more sense then. Also, do any of you guys know how to shuck an oyster? Because it is no, ridiculously no. hard, and she <laughs> open, cracked open that sucker real quick. She's industrious. Like well, she's a professional. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, we should have got like a Rocky montage of her like training. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you're ready. <laughs> yeah, all the stuff they're trying to yeah, get. Yeah, Jackins behind us, like whipping it's actually her. Just a, <laughs> I love that image so much. Um, yeah, I, I love the whole sequence. I love the intercutting between Arya like describing Lana's actions like she's a character in a play and i just see yeah, i thought the, the scene just flowed so well and confidently with the narration and just seeing bravos finally you know like the the streets are just brimming with life and there's fishermen and nets and the sea and the oysters and the haggling and the children playing like you finally get the life of bravos or you know we spent so much time in this cold dank empty temple it's cool to get outside and it's just like one of those moments in the show where you feel like you're living in a world and we don't necessarily get that a ton but i thought that mm. it was a really excellent representation of that you know the whole just like walking the streets oysters clams and cockles and whatnot it was just a it was really it just felt very immersive i guess is how i'd put it it was nice yeah. to see aria smiling yeah. like smiling yeah. not crazy i'm gonna kill you smiling but like she just <laughs> even though she was playing someone but she was like happy just smiling at people yeah she's it was, it was nice it was a nice break the prostitute she passed was uh with salador's right, son last yeah. season i saw that same person <laughs> really notice i did not notice either yeah but i agree it's a great world building like just seeing that didn't seem like unnecessary, like some some of them have in the past, but this one worked. Very organic, not info dumpy. Exactly. Yeah, I'm surprised how well they're pulling this off because, like, on paper, you'd think something like the Dornish stuff would be the easiest to adapt because it's so <laughs> sort of cinematic. Whereas yeah. <laughs> that's sort of into a heap, but the Bravo stuff is so sort of strange and disjointed on the paper. It's so weird. Yet they've found this really compelling way to to tell it. I think largely because of Macy Macy Williams just sells it so well. But I really like the the mysterious kind of intriguing tone they've struck you sort of want to learn more and just to be clear in the books she didn't have like a new face when she was cat of the canals right she was just no she, oh, she does no. that first with the the ugly little girl face i think is the first face she actually but takes. she's cat of the canals when she kills the the, sh the insurance guy right which poisons him or is that a, no i think no, she's the later, ugly girl yeah that's okay. later right. what it's it's you it's know. been a while since i reread yeah. dance that she's kind of canals when she kills uh, Darian. Right. I think what we're getting set up here is is that she is going to end up killing, I guess, Marin Trant instead. They'll be standing on the pier. Mace Tyrell will be like taking a selfie with the with the uh, <laughs> Titan of Bravos in the background, and then it's, it's, it's yeah, like just hitting it on the head. <laughs> yeah, he'll turn around and like he'll be dead. Like, what happened? What happened? <laughs> I, I love the idea of how oblivious he is with everything that's going on with his family back in back in King's Landing. I don't think he's oblivious. He just doesn't know yet. True, but just generally that's his. 
character, right? You he know. seems to be easily bumbling through life thanks to, like, <laughs> the Queen of Thorns and, and the rest of his family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe Mace Tarrell's just playing a really long game here and we just haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Reveal his true colors. <laughs> Mace Tyrell, Iron Throne, yeah. I call it. It's like, I'll have all the titles and then I'll just be de facto hand. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and move to King's Landing where we open with Septa Unella. I mean, she is named that, right? They give her that credit. Yeah, yeah. she hasn't yeah. been named in the show, but that's what she's cast as. Yeah, cool. So we get her entering Cersei, the Cer- now very disheveled Cersei's cell, where she offers her water and tells her to confess. Cersei refuses to cooperate and is denied the water and beaten with a ladle. And we later get Kyburn coming in to visit and tells Cersei that she will be put on trial and makes plain his doubt in the integrity of the faith's justice system, kind of like the whole thing we've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this evidence isn't necessarily... <laughs> No details, Definitive. no details. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows how, so how it works. And he also tells Cersei that Kevin Lannister has returned to King's Landing and has taken control of the small council as the hand. And then we also learn that Tommen has locked himself away in his chambers, won't eat. He's very upset about everything. And uh, Kyburn urges Cersei to confess. It seems like the best way out of the situation, but she frankly refuses. We get Septa Yunella coming in one more time to offer her water, and she again is unwilling to confess and is denied the water, but she is so desperate to, to get a drink that she licks it off the floor after she leaves, kind of showing how far Cersei has fallen in, in so short a time. The work continues. Yes. Oh, yes, the work continues. Oh, yeah. We also get yeah. Kyber That work better energy. pay off this season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, some, in some way. I don't know if we're getting Jeez. the actual fight, but... But I hope we see some Ungregor action uh, soon enough. No, I would be happy if it ends the way the book ends, you know, where he's yeah. here, like falling into his arms. But as we have to know that that's who it is. That's know? coming, yeah. So did Kevin, like, borrow Lilfinger's TARDIS to get all the way to <laughs> King's Landing from Castor the Rock in, like, what, a couple days? We don't, yeah. we don't know how we much time's gone yeah, by. Yeah, how much time has gone by uh, i imagine a bit but but if they've been denying her water this whole time she should right you die (laughs) yeah you die in like three days yeah i don't know how the mechanics of that work the westerlands are at peace he just took the gold road straight there you know he had horses it's not much traffic let's not nitpick how fast sir kevin gets around come on we gotta do you think he even bothered to go back to castle like a week out this isn't gonna take long (laughs) she'll screw up pretty quick i think Yeah. But in the books, he does visit Cersei several times, right? Uh, he visits her once yeah. to tell her that she has to do the walk. Okay, right. so maybe we'll, we might actually get him visiting her in the cell. Do you think he actually wanted her to confess so that would initiate a trial by combat? Or he <laughs> was talking about something else that he said there was another way? I thought the whole point about the evidence being sketchy was the gentle nudge, like we should we should take a, this matter into our own hands kind of thing. But I'm not sure about the whole confessing thing. I think that... That I don't know what the point of that is in the book. It's just to get her out of the cell, but it's not. It doesn't clear her of her crime. Right, because she only has to confess to fornication or something like that. Because yeah, she can't really prove that she killed. She didn't kill Robert. She just made it possible that he died. No, but it, it, even after her walk in the book, she's still facing trial. Yeah, th- right. but that's true. The, the charges are a lot more serious, I think, in the show than the books. It's like, you know, incest and um, killing the king, regicide of some description. So, yeah, in the book, she never big. admits to the incest, right? She just admits to, to sleeping right. around. So, yeah, it's, it's a bigger and, deal and, yeah. here. If she does admit to all that stuff. Isn't she also, like, convicted of deicide? And she's like, what god did I kill? And it's like, oh, well, you were the high, the last high set didn't kill. Oh, that's right. <laughs> 
Right. Well, yeah, she like strangled it. She had the right. kettle black strangle him or something. Yeah. She's like, oh yeah. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Like, Throw that, that up on the board. <laughs> Classic Cersei. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh, as you say, it's a sort of. It's almost like you hate Cersei, but you almost feel sorry. You feel some sense of humanity when she's just on the ground licking the wet off the stones. It's this nope. moment of desperation nope. <laughs> you can't help. But yeah, I guess I guess you're right. It's well, just, it's, it's the same the way with like Reek. I feel like he did shit. Yeah, things. He exactly. Got shitty things done to him. It's like, oh, but no one should be subjected to that, man. Come on. It's like you want Cersei punished, but it's like the worst possible people to do it. It's like they're worse. Not these guys, right? It's what all about you? yeah, this puritanical, misogynistic style of punishing people, right. keeping her in a box, trapping her, and yeah. And this is the part if you want to talk about, you know, the interesting things that Game of Thrones, the show and the Song of Ice and Fire, the books does is that it kind of is constantly making us reevaluate our opinions of different characters. And, we, you know, we begin in this season on the High Sparrow's side, you know, he, he seems like a, a generous dude that's going to do the good things for the common people. But we quickly realize that his methods are, are problematic. But then you're kind of like, yeah, imprison Cersei. But then you get to hear it and you're like, oh, man, this guy, like, denying her water, like, dehydrating her, this is pretty terrible. And uh, sleep deprivation and yeah. all yeah. yeah, sleep deprivation, that, that would be the worst, being woken up every hour. Ugh. Let's move to Winterfell where we get um, we get Theon arriving again to Sansa's chambers where he finds Sansa already waiting for her. She asks, frankly, why he betrayed her. Theon tries to explain that all escape attempts will fail because Ramsay knows all and sees all. He would have been in on this Maybe he was even planning it. And Sansa is pissed, asks how Theon could have killed Bran and Rickon. And Theon, you know, kind of traumatized as he is, lets slip to her that the boys he killed and burned were not Bran and Rickon. And Sansa is shocked. Theon is terrified at what he has just said and flees. Yeah, I'm giving mad props to HBO because they are actually drawing this out longer than I thought they would. Like, it's going to be minimum three episodes now. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually happy about that it's not just a quick fix for theon this is basically the only way to get out for Santa to get through to theon and for the escape to happen right god i'm so confused about the whole escape thing <laughs> there's like so many things i don't know how it's gonna end up playing out we still have brienne hanging out right. outside slowly freezing to death there and <laughs> and we have this whole thing that we'll get to with ramsey going to stannis's camp and what's gonna happen with that i don't know there's just so many different variables i have no idea how it's gonna pan out all we know mm. is that somebody we like is gonna die probably <laughs> mayhaps well we learn in this episode that Ramsay is leaving Winterfell, so right. that might free up Reek. He won't have Ramsay sort of leaning over his shoulder. Maybe Sansa can get to him a bit more. I guess, yeah, Roose is the real uh, yeah blockage. The Maybe Sansa like lights the candle herself and that alerts Brienne or something like that. Like she gets Reek to distract the guards or something. I don't know. She sends Reek to go kill Roose Bolton. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a jump leap. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah, so any other thoughts on this? Spit with Sansa and Theon. Reek, sorry. Not Theon. Some, yeah, I, I, some more sort of beautiful imagery with like Sansa and Theon staring at each other. And you got like the white sort of window going like passing through their silhouettes. And yeah, I don't know. I guess another sort of theme, I guess, in this series is a lot of characters being sort of stripped of their identities. Like, you know, Arya is choosing to have all of her identity stripped from her, and Cersei is sort of in the process of having her fineries sort of stripped away, and, and Reek is kind of doing the same thing. He says something like, bit by bit, I was cut away at until there was no more Theon. So I guess it's kind of that, that yeah. theme of slavery and losing your selfhood and maybe trying to come back from that. We do then move to the scene with Roose holding his war council, making plans on what to do about Stannis. He pretty much says, 
says that the best option here is to just wait it out, have them siege them, they will slowly starve and freeze to death in the northern winter. And uh, Ramsay says that there might be a better option, you know, kind of inspire the northern people, get them more on their side to deal with these Southron invaders. They should send a little little party to do some damage, and he says that he, that he can get it done with 20 men, because Ramsay is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. like, I get the logic, but the numbers, just like, send out your army. <laughs> Right? I'm not even sure I get the logic. No. Why, no. why would the Northerners be impressed that he beats Stannis? They'll just hate him. Still. Uh, <laughs> they, they hate him because he killed, he attacked the, he killed the, uh, the Starks. Not yeah. because he's not strong. There really isn't any logic here. I think Ramsay just wants to kill things. And maybe, <laughs> maybe shirtless with some dogs. I guess we'll see. Shirtless in the middle of winter. That'd be pretty. Well, I guess it's kind of emphasizing the Bolton strength. They're not going to cower behind their walls. They're going to yeah. go out and face the southern invader or whatever. And re- sort of recenter themselves yeah. as the commanding force of the north. Spread I've fear. heard some speculation that Roos doesn't contravene this plan because he, he sort of wants Ramsay to pull Uriah and get himself killed so that he doesn't have to deal with them anymore. I was kind of wondering about that. Yeah, but like this is pretty much what Ramsay does in the books to Sir Roderick, right? Because he basically has a small picked force that takes on a much larger force when they're when they're besieging Winterfell. So, but that's a betrayal, though. I mean, Stannis is not like an ally that he's. No, I know, to, but like right. it's. it's he's, I mean, that might not be tactically the same, but that's kind of what went down. But uh, I just, you know, I don't think it's going to go down as well as he as he sees as he thinks. But you know, oh, Stannis, battle tested commander, he'll have pickets, he'll have people ready, and he won't just let him pass. So. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. I, I guess, guess the idea, though, is that the Southerners don't know the North the way the Boltons do. They know the environment. You know, Ramsay's a hunter. He knows how to hunt people. He can pick away at them, spread fear and horror through their ranks, maybe. String some of them up on a tree and, you know, de- like degrade morale. Kill Serene. <laughs> uh, are we supposed to get the impression that Stannis is parked right outside Winterfell right now? Is that how we're no. supposed to? No. Okay. no, I think no. he's on the way. He's on the march. Right, yeah. okay. We're still holding out it. hope for the Mountain Clans. The Mountain Clans will come in and save Stannis' camp right before Ramsay gets him. <laughs> just want to see Big Bucket Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll be good, yeah. The Wall. Alright, so we have a short scene on the wall where we get Gilly continuing to tend to Sam in his bedchamber. Ollie arrives with some food and questions. He asks Sam how John could possibly be willing to work with the Wildlings again. Uh, you know, the people who brutally killed his family and village. It's really sad. Sam reiterates that there is a greater threat and that just like all people, not all wildlings are inherently bad. He says to Ollie that sometimes a man has to make hard choices, even if it doesn't look right to everyone watching. Great. God damn it, Sam. God damn it. You what killed you John, Sam. <laughs> you killed him. You know, for the watch. I just picture Ollie being taken away. But Sam said it was okay. <laughs> Sam just has this look like yeah, he's like, for Sam. Yeah. For Sam. <laughs> oh, shit. Sam's like, God damn it. To be fair, Sam also says, John always comes back. He does say that. How is he going to come back? I don't <laughs> Yeah, well, Melisandre's not there, exactly. so that's one. They haven't established that he's a walk, and then he can go into Ghost's body, so that's scratched off. And they've killed other characters that are alive, so I'm starting to think that they might just kill John. <laughs> I don't think so. No, he's too big and important. In addition to that being a reference to him coming back from the dead, I also thought for like show watchers it was setting as you would expect someone to say that if there was a possibility that John would die. Like, oh, he always comes back. He's always going to be fine. And then because that's the kind of thing you would say about someone that mm. is in trouble. It's the open martel. Like, this is not the day I die. And then your head explodes. Yeah. So, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he'll he'll be back. But how do you think they could get the whole like 
Caesar thing going now that so many brothers have seen what actually yeah. happened at right. Hard Home. It doesn't it's make like, sense. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, guys, this is a good idea. Unless, unless it's like the moment he steps off, he steps, you know, back into Castle Black, and you got, you know, yeah. and you got a bunch of guys that are just like, all right, he's got wildlings, just kill him. And he's like, doesn't no one? And then the, and then after they stab him, you know, everyone else is like, um, guys, maybe you should let us speak first. Yeah, I, I brought that up on the forums. Basically, what you said, Matt, that like, how can they do that now? But I forget who responded. They said you only need a couple guys to do it. So that's why they're focusing almost everything on Ollie. I think they might take the easy way out and just have it be like a personal thing with Ollie Ugh. and not bring in. Uh, which, which, I don't like that. Yeah, but they've made yeah. those kind of decisions before, and that seems like yeah. the easiest way to do it with him's. You know, without Sir Alistair joining in or Bowen Marsh, who was not actually Bowen Marsh because we don't know his name. You know, it's just Ollie. They have they've shown a couple grimaces, grimacing faces in the background, but they really so, it's just been Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. Yeah, so they're, like, they're playing up the emotional component of the wildlings, and Ollie seems to be at the center of that. But yeah, they def they they need something else. Like they need yeah. you know they need Santa to hear about Stannis being killed and John to go crazy, or he's about Sansa being tortured in Winterfell and riding down on Winterfell or something like that. Because this is a big, huge deal, even to just give the impression that you have killed off one of your top three most important characters. Like, this is huge. You need to set it up to just do it as a throwaway with this random character. I mean, you can like Ollie, it's right. fine, but it's like, it's just not enough. And the whole and interesting thing about John in, in the book is that it's like a whole thing where he's making a series of blunders and it's the institution of the Night's Watch versus John the person, not, you know, a personal grudge that well, yeah, yeah. diminishes it so much. The tragedy of it has to be that John somehow earned it. Like, up until now he's been this conquering he's been this hero he's defending everything with righteous fury but he needs to somehow break his oath in some way to, to earn that and yeah so he, yeah he needs to sort of lose his mind a bit i don't know it'll still have the same epicness where instead of for the watch we get you know for my unnamed village and then he's dead so <laughs> For, my, for the potato, for, for the potatoes, potatoes I never got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the ultimate fuck you. <laughs> yeah, for the potatoes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It could be they're not gonna. I don't know. That's one of the show's weak points. I think has always been not giving proper motivation or or leaving motivation from the books and just writing it out in favor of something easier and cheaper. And that doesn't entirely make sense. Yeah, this is the big thing I'm worried about with the, how this season is going to end. I'm really concerned about how they're going to handle this in particular. Because I, I just I can imagine this being like a huge negative for the perception of Game of Thrones, where they're kind of abusing the whole killing the big characters reputation for uh, for like something that doesn't pan out or be interesting. It worries me. Yeah, I mm -hmm. think uh, the show is setting up uh, Sansa to write the pink letter, oh, and okay, but. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense in the show because John already knows that his brothers are alive. He, doesn't, oh, yeah. he didn't see them, I don't think. I don't think he saw them. Well, no, Sam told Sam tells him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah that's right. That's right, that's right. Very different. Oh, that's right. You think he could have told Stannis and then <laughs> that could oh, yeah. have been some like, political capital. <laughs> Might have been a in, good in thing. In the 12 do. conversations they have, they chose to keep that one off screen. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard for future storylines, Sansa might end up sending Brienne to try and find Rickon or Bran or something. Yeah, I think we said that actually on, on the last. Oh, did we you speculated that on last Dragoncast that that That's might be where I got it from. <laughs> it was us. It might be. It might be interesting for that to be her out because she wants to kill Stannis. There might be some kind of that would bind them. They have a common interest of some sort. What if well, she just killed Stannis? What do you guys think about that? If she just like straight up. I'd, I'd have no problem with that. That's fine. That's cool. Yeah, you're fine. Okay. <laughs> as long as his service, his purpose was served, I don't know. That, 
It, it would definitely feel premature if before the end of the season, you know, she she manages. Oh, look, Stannis is here. Stannis is there. <laughs> what? So many theories, so much speculation. This is so strange to not know what's going to happen. And there's only two episodes left. Like, yeah. you don't know where they're going to have to leave it on a cliffhanger. Are they going to you know, rush through all the resolutions? Or, yeah. We'll see I don't know. That's yeah. why it's so good. <laughs> I mean, there's at least one cliffhanger that they're. They might leave it on, even though I have a thousand dollar bet with Greg. <laughs> oh yeah, what? thousand dollars on? I tend to do that. So Whoa! Is <laughs> that John would get Caesared? Oh yeah, oh, I forgot. That it? you're changing the bet. Oh, you're what? saying that it won't happen. You're saying it wouldn't happen. Right? Oh, I don't think it will happen. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's why it's. A oh, that's right. I'm sure we'll, it will. We'll happen. check back on that. But first, let us go ahead and move to Hard Home. Yes, yes, yes. Let's go ahead and start with the first bit we get with John, Tormund, and crew arriving there where they are met warmly by the Lord of Bones so we can safely debunk that it's not Mance alive, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) This didn't happen. He's dead. And we have Tormund quickly having enough with Rattleshirt's insults, beating him to death with his giant staff. (laughs) Yes, very well done. Giant staff. Giant staff. Just bring Rado shirt in just so Tormund can beat the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> pretty much All what right, they did. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, your first day in prison, you find the biggest guy, and you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. I think the Lord of Bones is going to need an orthopedic surgeon after that one. Oh. <laughs> do, you think, do, you th- do you think we'll see him again? Ooh, broken be- bones. <laughs> I just like oh, how they, they recast him, and the, the actor they have playing him, I looked him up, he's actually Welsh, but they gave him this like Russian accent. And I think he's the only <laughs> character on the show that has like a pretty straightforward Russian accent, and they kill him within like 30 seconds. So that, That's a subtle shot at, at, at Putin, yeah, I think. Clearly a political character. People like, we got Russian on the show, and he did. So, Wait, yeah. no, isn't, isn't the the, the, the Fendasio, he also he was actually a Russian actor and he had a Russian accent too. Uh, I thought he was, they sounded more like, I don't know, like Finnish, Scandinavian, more like Peter, but probably, I'm probably wrong about that. No, they didn't sound awesome, so it wasn't Peter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't say awesome things. They, all right, never mind. Are we supposed to, to assume this? Peter to a thin. <laughs> Are we supposed to assume this that in this episode is the new Magnar? Is that what it is he's the elder at least because there was the elders meeting someone in charge elder so yeah we do get this next scene where the wildling elders convene they ask john why they would possibly interested or they kind of just like all right explain why would we want to ally with our hated enemy hated for millennia john offering his supply of dragon glass says that this is the only choice they have to try to withstand the army of the dead when they ask john what happened to mance he says that he shot him with an arrow to the heart Tactful Stark uh, skill there. But Tormund's like, wait, wait, uh, you killed him for mercy. It wasn't really, it wasn't a bad thing. Which which I think was actually the best way to do it if John was thinking ahead. Because, you know, he wouldn't want to be like, oh, I saved Mance's, Mance from suffering. It's better to have Tormund say that. Yeah, so. yeah, I agree. And uh, we eventually have a spearwife named Carsey seeming convinced by whatever they need to do and says that she will follow with this plan, but more, you know, follow Tormund. She believes in him. But the Thens are not interested. Well, everyone fucking hates Thens. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny to get that. I was but so I, sad I to lose Carsey. She was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, Carsey's still around in a form. <laughs> yeah. She's whiten. 
doing some waiting. She's doing Pitch Perfect too right yeah. now. So she's I, <laughs> I was, it was funny to find out that it was the same person because I, I loved that character in Pitch Perfect too. <laughs> That's pretty neat. Oh my gosh, it is. Yeah. All right. So we get then first the wildlings you know, loading up on the boats. Not everyone, but as many as they could get. We have Carsey saying goodbye to her children. That's going to end well for her, obviously. That's not foreshadowing anything bad happening. Yeah, this is the first scene that reminded me exactly of the end of Titanic, where they're putting the kids in the lifeboat, and yeah, yeah I just expected to see like him saying, you know, oh, there'll be another boat for the daddies yeah. right away. That that was rather tropey, you know. It's also like you know, like Lord of the, there was actually a lot of Lord of the Rings ish stuff, but oh, we get oh, yes. of like, like uh, you know, tree beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we do get a storm descending upon Hardhome, some kind of ice storm, and the gates are closed, leaving many wildlings trapped outside. Whites begin tearing through the gates. Chaos takes hold as they storm the village, killing everyone in their path. John and Tormund join the fight. John sees the hut with the dragon glass is being overcome by whites. One one breaks out, destroying all the dead things in his path. John enters the hut with the Then leader, only to find a white walker already there. The Then tries to hold the other back, while John looks for the dragon glass, but his axe is quickly shattered and he is stabbed. John is attacked and thrown from the hut by the inhuman thing. Desperate, he grabs Longclaw and crosses blades with the walker. They are both stunned when the blade does not shatter. John gets an opening and destroys the other. Injured, he makes a run for the boats with Tormund, Ed, and 1-1, who gets named, of course. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the meantime, Percy is overcome by whites in the form of children, probably the most terrifying image we get (laughs) in the whole sequence. And then the apparent leader of the White Walkers walks out on the docks to get a better look at John, who watches in terror as the Night's King raises the wildling dead as new soldiers for his army. So yeah, guys, this big, epic sequence we get at the end here. Oh, so much fun. Very cool. So... uh, I don't know how we're going to parse this, but just uh, some thoughts, some thoughts on this. Well, just to be clear, there's no doubt now that that is the Night's King because Benioff refers right. to him he twice as the Night's King yeah. in the thing. Yeah. So that's, that's, that is, yeah, no, I, I loved it. I, it was the most entertaining half hour of Game of Thrones ever, even more than Blackwater, I thought, just because it was yeah. constant. There were no like cut scenes to Cersei getting drunk in Mager's Holfest. It was just nonstop action. And mm-hmm. there were so many individual little things, just this, the, the half a second of Ed and 1 1 with their little look that was priceless. I yeah. freaking love the Night's King. I was, I didn't care. You know, I'm over the whole freak out from last season. And just all the little, I just loved it. It was, it was the, probably the best half hour of Game of Thrones, in my opinion, so far. Yeah, it, it really snuck up on you as well. Like it, it was like a regular episode of Game of Thrones where they were cutting between different storylines for the first <laughs> yep. half. And then they cut to Hard Home and it's like, you know, you're expecting, all right, they're going to cut back to King's Landing at some point. But they don't. It just stays there. It feels like we've been putting this off for far too long. The Wildlings and the Night's Watch. We've got to sit down, hammer this out. And also the White Walkers. We've been putting this off since the first scene of the entire series. Yeah. And they just stay with it and they stay with it and they stay with it. And the tension just builds. And even at the beginning of the scene, it's really tense. You know, Tormund just unleashes on um, Rattleshirt. It's just like there's so much exhaustion and anger between yeah. these two tribes. And they've just they've just had enough. They just need to sit down and work something out. And then, I don't know, they're just oblivion just erupts and winter just declares itself to the audience in like the most spectacular horrifying fashion you could imagine it was fantastic yeah this is really important for the show not because it came after two pretty substandard episodes but also because 
I think this is the one, the, the first completely invented storyline. I mean, we read about Hard Home in the books, but we don't know what happened. Just dead things coming out, right? Right. This, this is almost completely show invented material, and this is the one, this is the first one that really, really worked. It, it hit, so yeah. It hit but really it's, well. it's also it's not a spoiler, right? Because this all could have happened, just John wasn't there for it. We That's why it's not it, yeah. as bothersome, you know? Yeah. Right. It just, it's, yeah, it's just it's such a payoff, right? I mean, from from. You know, the opening of the series, you know, slash book, like this is the real conflict that just sort of gets pushed around that we don't see most of the time. And just also the way it was shot. I mean, there's not a lot of shaky cam like it's like the action was shot well, so you could see what was going on. There's a lot going on. So, you you know, you have to watch it more than once to catch it all. But I I really appreciated that. And it wasn't even like a CGI filled thing either. There were practical effects on the White Walkers and the Giants. They were scaled up and, you know, added some stuff. But yeah, it was it was just really awesome to see it and just just so visceral and exciting. Um, in terms of it being important, though, Bing, I just want, I just want to say quick that I think that it really is because I think a lot of people do watch this show with the expectation that this is the big thing, and I think we're, we if we they hadn't done it here, that would have been a problem that they had been yes. delaying on it so long. Yeah, like another yeah. fist of the first men. Yeah, it was important right. to get that payoff here, and they really they they, they pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Right. Unlike and, other battles, which are really sort of tightly you know choreographed and they're built up to throughout the season, you're expecting it. The characters are always going over how it's coming it's coming it's coming it finally arrives you're seeing it from multiple different perspectives this was as people said it's just john and just rank frenzy around him just like there was no sort of order whatsoever it was just monsters tearing through chunks of wood and wildly wildlings these you know fierce warriors just fleeing terrified into this frozen water yeah and i mean you get you get you know a dozen nights watch running into you know they don't know what but you know thousands of the dead like that was great yeah. And having the Night's Watch have that moment of, you know, Night's Watch with me, like there, this is the first time we're actually seeing them fight the things they're supposed to be fighting. And that's right. their moment to and, shine. Yeah. And they and they did. And it was none it was of them ran. Right. I loved how the in the beginning, it was slow confusion taking over, like in that super wide shot where you could see all the wildlings that's down the coast, like little segments of them start running around panicking around. And then it slowly just builds as the yeah. winds and cold is sneaking up on everybody. And then just builds into the, you're not knowing what's going on and everybody's just running around. Yeah, John's like, please form into an orderly queue. We need <laughs> yeah. to keep this organized. <laughs> all ranks. All ranks. Have all your tickets well. ready. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's it's like a natural disaster. I mean, it really is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's like a disaster I, movie. Yeah. Another thing I didn't like about the Army of the Dead was we got the skeletons again. Right. And didn't you just think like Bruce yeah. Campbell just with like a chainsaw <laughs> arm could have just cut them to pieces and yeah but no it, it, makes, I, I didn't, it makes sense because they yes. would have been the first ones to break through because they they're the they've been there they're in the army ready and then you needed to give the others time to reanimate so it made yeah. sense that those are the first yeah. ones you saw i also but think still, it, like it was and it was most up. of the skeletons were the ones falling over the cliff which yeah is, pra- practically that makes a lot of sense it's it's easier to do than than to make you know full flesh, and that's uh, what really sold it for me is that that scene with them just like <laughs> dropping, like it's so it's so like it fits so well with. Like, and you hear the bones, you wouldn't hear yeah, that they all had right. flesh. This is much better CGI skeleton usage than that season. Oh yeah, I think, I think oh, yeah. the back of little girls throwing bombs at them really improved. <laughs> no, I have to say, 
fire would oh, have been good here. They could have used a bit. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of which, is this the first time the wildlings have ever fought them? Because there's no fire arrows. I think it's the first time there was a battle. I think the whole the whole reason Mance got them together was because they were dying and you know there were whispers. Like they knew what was coming. But they never, they didn't try to fight it. They were trying to get away. I think the way that you sell it is that, that there is no leader. There is no one, you know, controlling the situation. They're kind of just, just milling about. They don't have a plan. And I think that's kind of why they weren't and, prepared. And yeah, the, wall of the, dead, right. the wall of the dead coming like right into Hardhome shows it wouldn't have mattered. And yeah. they're sort of like on their last legs. It's like they've, you know, Cassie says fight them, run from them maybe, and that's what they've been doing. They've just been running and running, and they can't run anymore. They've arrived at the sea, and just they're exhausted. They're on their last legs, and they're just running into the ocean. That's how terrified, that's how undefeatable these creatures are to them. And they're all going to die of hypothermia in 35 seconds anyway, so yep. they're, not, they're not making mm. it to the ships a mile away. Yeah. I thought the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> Why do you think the children, dead people, hang out together? <laughs> there's always clicks. If life yeah. is told anything, there's always clicks. Even in death. <laughs> there's some really disturbing imagery. Like I like the like the little the White Walkers perched on the hill above the slaughter. That was just so creepy and weird. Like they were just sort of these alien observers yeah. just kind of watching the the slaughter. The four play horsemen. Out. Yeah, people are making yeah, that illusion. Yeah. 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 And the, yeah, as you say, the skeletons just leaping off the the cliff like lemmings, and then suddenly waking up and just <laughs> lunging at the one. Like, just a yeah, creepy, like, weird sort of like slow motion and fast motion combined into one. Yeah. One thing I was kind of like disappointed. I thought we were getting that we didn't get, and one thing I'm glad we didn't get that I thought we were going to get was the Then mentions ice spiders, at, and when they're talking, it's like, okay, we're going to see an ice spider. <laughs> Some ice spiders. Yeah. <laughs> I kept looking in the background, but it, we basically just see like the smoke monster, you know, but white. But then as I kept expecting a fucking ice dragon to come in and I was so happy that we didn't get an ice dragon. <laughs> so you Especially wanted us. His arms at the end is like, oh shit, there's going to be an ice dragon. I'm going to have to flip this table. And <laughs> so I was very happy. That we so didn't you, get so you wanted ice spiders, but not dragons. I just, I don't understand you anymore, Greg. This is so... Ice dragons make, I just don't like the idea of it's just an right. easy, easy way out. And plus yeah. we don't yeah. wear ice spiders at one point. I'm just joking. Actually have an ice dragon. So. Yeah. Well, what, what I expected that didn't happen then, and I'm glad I expected one, one to go down. Yeah, I'd be away. I, I was just yeah. like, like at any oh. moment, I'm like, I'm like, he's going down and he's coming up and he's coming back undead. And I'm just like, this is going to be terrible. And he gets away. And then I did, I did not expect that the, at that final scene, he's got the come at me, bro, look going. And I'm like, okay, that's yeah. pretty intimidating. And I'm like, wait, okay, they're holding. It's really quiet. I'm like, okay, everyone's about to get up, aren't they? And then they all get up. I think I think my favorite shot, and I think this is, I imagine this is a lot of people's, is the part where we you know the, the the swords clash. You get the singing of the blades, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just a great moment because of course it's like, oh, the cheats are off. You can you can finally <laughs> deal with these seemingly unstoppable threats. And, and the the sound exciting. mixing, like when John goes over the ledge and it just goes quiet. Yeah, quiet. And you can just hear mm. his, his breathing, and he's like, oh, he's on death's doorstep, and he's his silhouettes just stumbling through the fog and the mist, and and also the sound when um. Carly, what is it? Cassie sees the dead children, and the soundtrack. I don't know if you remember, but it is nightmarish. It is the weirdest thing you've ever heard, and just the waves and the cracking of wind and the silence just just ends the battle. Yeah, and and you you know before the expression on her face that she's not fighting them, that she's just done. She's done. She's lost. Well, did did you think that she's done, or she's just like I'm not? Well, I I thought I thought either she's gonna run away or she's just dead, and then she just sort of gave up. Oh, you see, I think she saw the children's like nope can't fight him she she, yeah. she was at her point she just there was, yeah. she couldn't do anything at that point one thing that was kind of weird was when the then shut the gate and then they're all banging on it and then they all just go silent all together at once which was kind of cool and eerie but 
it didn't really make a lot of sense why all those people would just be like, "Whoop, quiet now." I magic, magic, I don't know. Well, it was poison, <laughs> poison white smoke. Yeah, poison white smoke. <laughs> also, it goes it goes along with the entire series or this season at least, where it's like it's kind of like a horror movie. <laughs> They've been doing a lot of scenes, very scary, dark lighting, like weird lighting, weird angles. The scenes in Winterfell and What the Wall are just completely dark thin white light going through the windows, the stone men just jumping into the river and clawing at Tyrion, pulling him into the ocean. Yeah, And, and you brought it up before, Zach, about the Lord of the Rings comparisons, and there's more than just a couple. Like, for me, I just thought that the uh, the setup of the main hut, whatever, the main building at Hardham looked like a ruined Edoras. Like, he even had, like, the mm. crossed horse, uh, you know, horse mm. head. They might have been snake heads, but... Um, and, like, the, when they first start coming through the doors, like, that's the scene when they're under Moria, you know, and Sean Bean could have said, like, they have a cave troll, you know, shooting the arrows through there. <laughs> <laughs> it just, there were, like, five or six scenes, like, this is almost scene yeah. for scene, what happens in Lord of the Rings. And then when one one does his tree beard thing, he literally is, like, waving a flaming tree, stepping on them, flinging them off him like the orcs. And, yeah, it was it was yeah. great. And I even, really And even the start like, clash thing was, like, just like um, the, the King of the Dead. King um, of the Dead, yeah. The line is broken. It is been reforged <laughs> ah so awesome <laughs> how do you think that weird uh, cloaked figure saved the one boat for them to get away with with everybody clamoring over him he managed to beat everybody off and save a boat well they just what? didn't get the boats yet the, the last boat that John and the guys escape on, there was just a guy sitting at the well, back. Well, he said, come back for me. How did he go? Oh, so he yeah, came back like, after everyone was dead? So they, they left, and then he came back at the end. Also, know, like, it took forever for them to get, like, 30 feet away from the dock in that boat. Like, they started rowing <laughs> yeah. away, and then it's, like, no one was later, rowing. and you're like, Yeah, they oh, weren't rowing. They were stunned, I think. They're like, yeah. yeah. They didn't have get yeah. me there. He would have got it done, I think. I just like the idea of the others would be like, we're going to fuck you up, kill everyone, and then they get to the water like, ooh, cold, 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 can't go in the water. <laughs> so it's, it's like, got to draw the line somewhere. So <laughs> instead of the wall, zombie, should they no. just have dug uh, like a river? A <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. just a yeah. three of one foot deep river, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because this is, a, as far as I know, I mean, this is a direct, you know, not what the books are doing because, you know, in the books, the, the one thing we get is dead things in the water. Yeah. And these right. dead things don't do water, apparently. That, that would have been really cool just to have the whites here yeah, just f- f- grabbing onto the boat and trying to pull them under and stuff but I guess they had to find a way to close the scene I guess they had to be yeah. sort of this decompression point and maybe it's but just it, him letting it, them go like, yeah I think it almost I think seems that, like a deliberate yeah like a deliberate point that the yeah, White yeah. Walker King is trying to make like you know we own this place now this is ours you're no longer welcome here how many well, boats does it take to send a message <laughs> well the thing is the Night's what the Night's King the Night King so if we assume he's the Night King then he's the he was the Lord Commander of the Wall some thousands of years ago, and he was staring at John. And maybe he knows that that John is the Lord Commander of the Wall. Maybe he wants to make him his protege. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Apprentice. <laughs> maybe. maybe he has plans. Maybe he has plans. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that could be. I mean, if if they wanted to radically, uh, maybe this is what's going to happen in the book. I don't know. Is to make John want to join the bad, join the the whites somehow, no. get him. <laughs> I really also enjoyed the um, just seeing the ships because in the beginning, like the ships in the background, it's nice calm seas, everything's fine, and then once the whites start attacking, like it's wavy, and then at one point there's just like giant waves rolling over the ships, and I don't yeah. I think any of them actually went down, but it didn't look uh, like it was going to. It looked like they should have, didn't it? It looked like yeah, they, but uh, I didn't know. He didn't have like quite Saruman like powers where he's like no. control the weather, but he had an effect. I, I had a friend um, ask me. He was like, "Well, you know, the the he's like the the White Walkers or whatever." He's like, "Aren't they they're they're winter like incarnate, right? Why didn't they just freeze the water and send everyone after them?" I'm like, "Well, 
doesn't work like that. But I don't know if that There's was like rules. an impression that was given or like <laughs> like they're, they're not like Iceman. I mean, I don't know. Like I don't know. Uh, I, I, I kind of went that they were letting them go. I think that's yeah. the way I'm going with it. That and I think it's also like it's a it's a deliberate march. They're gradually taking yeah. over piece by piece of land. I yeah, guess. they're in no rush. It was like the Thens that told Ali to go tell the Night's Watch we're coming for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's telling they, them they go tell the Night's Watch we're coming for you. Do we have anything else to say about her home? I had four more Titanic oh. references I was going to make, but it got it. Four. Have a number of Army of Darkness to make as well. So we'll call it a draw. So yeah, killer episode, guys. I, I it's going to be interesting getting into these last two episodes because the thing with Game of Thrones is always that you know the big big crazy thing happens in episode nine whereas it feels like we kind of got that here i guess the big crazy thing in episode nine is is danny uh, in the, in the Dragon. Space. Yeah. we'll get something we shall see i'm curious to see how this story moves forward there's actually a preview shot in the next episode where they have them walking up <laughs> castle <Yeah>. black <laughs> oh that's ridiculous <laughs> but whatever yeah, it's just yeah. so they they walk the parallel yeah. wall all the way on the other side of the wall instead of well they do have an out there they can say that the weather was so bad that they had to like just walk on shore but then yeah. the others would have fucking just fucked them up on the shore again so. yeah we got marooned in the middle of the haunted forest <laughs> yeah no oh, big deal. I hope they address that because they can't just have them walk up to the, the northern side of the gate that just makes no sense I'll bet you a thousand dollars that they don't I will not take that bet <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make it a wash here. <laughs> Double or nothing. Double or nothing. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I think that that is about it. Really fun time, guys. It's just cool to just nerd out and not be upset about, about Game of Thrones. Yeah. This has got to be the most like overwhelmingly positive response. Like Even Blackwater, yeah. I mean, there were a ton of five stars, but a lot of people didn't like it. But it seemed, even on the forums, like it's it's over 50% five. Bad. Michal missed out on this episode. She was complaining about this on Twitter quite a bit, saying yes. how lame and dumb it was. <laughs> It would have been nice to get that counterpoint for sure. Glad I'm not on Twitter. negative responses apart from Michal there's probably a few other people but like even people who rage quit the show from a couple of episodes ago have been like tempted back on and they're saying yeah I hate parts of the show but this was flat out awesome Alex Alex (laughs) (laughs) you can't quit Will of Iron All right, so thank you guys for listening to another week of Dragoncast. Again, we'll be back next week to review Episode 9, Dance of Dragons. I think that's what it's called, not Dance of the Dragons. I don't know. Thank you guys for joining me again. It was a lot of fun. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. See ya.
Welcome to the Vassals of King's Grave Dragon Cast Whoa. Edition. Oh, I catch you off guard. Took my, I'm sorry. You took my surprise. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you, Greg. That's right. I'm ready. It's okay, Greg. It's all right. Are we Safe. good now? Yes. Hashtag Greg. Alrighty. Oh, Hashtag Greg. <laughs> oh, no. I was going to ask uh, Greg how the mini NYC mute did. Oh, it was fun. I mean, we literally only got to hang out for like five minutes because it was just this oh. giant convention. But uh, it was it was fun. Got our picture, and she, of course, did the hashtag Greg thing. But that was <laughs> was funny. <laughs> Greg, you look like Will Wheaton's brother. It's very uncanny. <laughs> you really do. Does he have a brother, or do you just mean I look like a fat Will Wheaton? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think was babysitting uh, Baby Sam? Because he wasn't with. His mom or dad. She's just hanging out with Bibbs. He's gone in a lot of scenes. He's been alive for like five years. He's still a Ghost ghost is the nanny. (laughs) What I was about to say is like the kid is is still like three months old and he just sleeps all the time. And then we go in other places and we're like years have passed. So I don't know. Time moves differently. He's having his first day of of Night's Watch Kindergarten or something. Yeah. (laughs) The cold preserves. Yeah, it's uh, sword training today for him. (laughs) He can face off against the... uh, The The baby White Walker. Yeah. Yeah. It would be his his brother. Oh, it would be. The stakes would be even higher. Please, someone draw a picture of a White Walker baby (laughs) fighting baby Sam. (laughs) (laughs) I've only ever seen a cover of this book, and I like... George's quote is like a cross between Jurassic Park and Game of Thrones. <laughs> References <laughs> on <laughs> that's, that's like that's just how you do it. It seems so fake. It seems like yeah. some, like some his assistant was like, "We need a quote for this book <laughs> for some reason." Yeah, this is the best book I've ever read since my book Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Go buy my book. That should be the quote. I, I think they just showed him the picture of the, the on the cover and it's like, "Oh, oh I love that, that looks like Game of Thrones, but has dinosaurs." <laughs> Well, you know what's going to happen. That if it breaks the internet, it's going to be because Vari shows up and reveals his true form. Yeah. <laughs> we, all, we all know what that is. He kills Pycelle and, and Kevin swims away. <laughs> and you're like, oh, is boy. that a t-? They're not going to the explain wh- anything. He's just going to have a tail. The whites. Like, the whites. Tail. People are like, what? The whites <laughs> didn't enter the water because they knew that was the domain of the Merlins. <laughs> yeah. They'll have a whole flashback Waters. episode showing everything that like Varys has done, and you know there'll be hard home, and his head will pop up and be like, "Yeah, <laughs> all according to plan." <laughs>